Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. I'm so glad you made it uh, this evening. Uh, I, I just want to reiterate just a few things. Last week we had our baptism service. Shane talked about it. Man, I'm just so proud of our church. I'm proud of all of our prayer people. Um, all the people on staff who organized it, uh, Joel King, he's not in here, but Joel King uh, helped basically, he's in the studio, put all of our baptism like service together, and I, we, were, we were almost on time, a second service. We baptized how many people in second service? Like 60, almost 60. Lindsay, you're way off. Um, yeah, but about 60 people, um, spon- uh, most of whom were spontaneous decisions to get baptized, and we just had an efficient system. Come on, that's the church, and I'm so proud of our team, so proud of you guys, and uh, this summer's going to be uh, a great time of, man, barbecues, lots of meat, and all the meat people said amen, and maybe some vacation. How many go on a vacation this summer? Okay, so... Um, have a great vacation. Uh, but during summer break, we as a church, we don't like to take breaks. We like to take rest, right? So we're still going to follow Jesus this summer. And so I really feel like God has some great things for uh, our church going forward. June's going to be great. It's going to get even better in July. We're going to start a new sermon series in July. We'll talk about that later. And then next week, we have our very own, past, not our very own, well, I like to, he's my, my adopted like mentor or whatever, but uh, Pastor Jude Fuquay, all the way from Ventura, California, is going to be here. How many of you have heard of him? He's or heard him speak. He's amazing. You can't miss it. He's a firecracker. I mean, he just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And so um, you're going to be blessed. Uh, Actually, this service, just so you know, we're going to be meeting uh, in the lobby. And uh, he's going to do a leadership session, uh, 5 o'clock in the lobby. And uh, we're going to pray and pray that night. And so it's going to be really good. Uh, Who knows what happens? Um, The glory of God might come down, and we might be weeping on our faces and knees. And and anyways, um, uh, but God's going to be good. And so please don't miss that. So tonight is my last message. I know you're like totally disappointed, but this is my last message in Easter for the people. So we've, uh, this is the sixth message, right? And about five weeks ago, I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to talk about the ascension. And so I'm going to do my best to kind of unpack what the ascension is. It's largely ignored in the Western church. No one really knows about it. People kind of get freaked out about it. There's a lot of metaphysics involved. And so uh, I'm going to nerd out a little bit on some theology tonight. Uh, So if you give me four hours and 32 minutes, we're going to be totally good. Totally kidding. Uh, Give me about five, ten minutes. And I, I need to talk about some kind of lay groundwork when it comes to heaven and earth kind of stuff. So um, I, I, I don't know. I just think it's important that we, um, I, I, I love practical stuff. Can I get an amen, church? Like I, we, we, as Christians, we should have the best marriages. So we should have messages that talk about there's a practical ways of, of having a good marriage. It's organized around Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? When it comes to like our bodies, when it comes to ethics, when it comes to raising our kids, we need to have really good messages that talk about those practical things. Tonight's not one of those messages. Um, we're going to be practical, but tonight's more, I think before we can even get into second things, we got to start with first things. C.S. Lewis said, Hey, if you get the first things right, you're going to get the second things right. They'll just be thrown in. But if you, uh, put first things behind second things, you lose first and second things. The point that he's trying to make is that there's a sequence like before you can raise a family well and, and uh, do well at your job, right, and uh, be a good man or a good woman, whatever, in your marriage, uh, you, you have to know a little bit about what the Bible says about 
certain things. So we're going to talk about that tonight. Ascension's important when it comes to mission, and uh, we'll be talking about that. So we're going to go straight to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And uh, I think we'll have it behind me. I think we do. Perfect. So beginning in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, Luke writes, in the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive, everyone say alive, alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. I wish I could have, I wish I could have heard that. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Everyone say Wait. Waiting is a a particular American problem. Uh, We struggle with waiting, but uh, this is, you know, waiting in the book of Acts is is important. So wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. And all the Pentecostals said, amen. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of God or kingdom to Israel? There's a lot of eschatology or eschatology talk uh, that the disciples had, and they were asking questions about that, about the eschaton. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Could you say authority? We're going to talk about authority today. But you will receive power. So Jesus gives like a nonspecific answer to their question. He's like, hey, you're not going to know the dates and the times and the seasons, but this is how um, my kingdom is going to be launched on earth. You will receive What? Come on, you will receive what? Man, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, I love this, and this is where it gets confusing for a lot of people. People shut down because, you know, we're Western-style thinkers and we're so rational. We're like, hmm, I don't know what to think about this. Uh, but it says, as they were looking on the disciples, Jesus, everyone say Jesus. Jesus was lifted up, like a vertical takeoff kind of a thing, right? And a cloud, everyone say cloud. Um, this is important, we'll talk about this. A cloud took him out of their sight. What is going on here? Verse 10, I'll, I'll talk about my puzzlement with this text growing up. And while they were gazing into heaven as they went, so they're gazing into heaven? I thought heaven was like 30 trillion miles away. Like, what is going on? Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead, bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, we thank you for um, being with us tonight. We bless you. We love you. We thank you for sunshine. Lord, we thank you for those who have sacrificed their lives for us. We bless their families. Lord, we bless all of our vets and those who are actively serving in armed forces, whatever branch. Lord, we just thank you for your blessing and favor on them. Lord, we thank you that your presence is with us today. And we just ask you to bless the Golden State Warriors in Jesus' name and Steph Curry. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So I want to talk to you really quick. I'm going to try to talk fast but I want to talk to you about the ascension. The ascension growing up for me was so confusing. Like I just, 
I, I couldn't I couldn't wrap my mind around it. Have you ever read the Bible before, and you've like you, you came like across a difficult passage, and you're like, hmm, right? You just that doesn't hmm that doesn't make sense. It's like a little bit confounding. It's kind of a puzzle. I I just that's been my experience growing up, and maybe that's not your experience, and that's great. Please tell us your secret. Right, The Bible at times can be, and there's nothing wrong with this, can be a little bit confounding. If you've never read your Bible or if you've ever read your Bible and you've never gone, hmm, every now and then because you've been, you found a difficult passage to be pretty difficult, you can't wrap your mind around it, man, you might be Ned Flanders, right? You might be one of those people that uh, you just see everything with like unicorns. The reality is defined by unicorns and ice cream and Care Bears, and that's great and whatever. But I think, man, if you if you seriously are committed to reading God's word, you're going to find some passages um, a little confounding. This is one of those passages. Like I just want to know, and, and man, I remember feeling sad for the disciples uh, reading this text. Jesus has spent 40 days with his disciples. He's giving them, uh, basically he, uh, he announces his inaugural address. He's then showing them about the kingdom. Uh, he's having a talks with them. He's like in and out of, like he vanishes in and out of like buildings. And, and uh, he's leading his disciples through like some difficult things. And then all of a sudden, after he says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive power um, uh, for mission to the world, he just like, like takes, you know, like Iron Man, like a primitive version of Iron Man and flies out into orbit, right? I mean, Jesus, the text makes it very clear that Jesus went into heaven. But growing up, I used to think that heaven again is this way off 30,000 miles, 30 trillion miles from planet Earth. And he just kind of abandoned his disciples. Like it makes you feel sad. Like have you ever seen Jurassic Park? You ever watched that? My kids watched it last night. It's Memorial Day weekend. Don't judge us. They had nightmares all night. But um, the, remember that one part with T-Rex, you know? So you had the two trucks, and they, they I mean, it's, just, it's really dramatic. Somehow something happens with electronics or whatever the system, and so they, the two trucks break down. And so the, was it the back car? You have the older gentleman with the two kids, right? And so he sees T-Rex, he loses his mind, and he leaves the kids. And remember the little girl, she's like, uh, I can't remember what she said, but she says something like, he left us, right? I feel like, as I've, and I, was, I read through this passage about 10 times this week, and I'm like, man, I'm just sure maybe initially, that's why the disciples were looking up uh, or looking into heaven, gazing, and you had two angels that came and said, hey, guys, like, stop, like, looking into heaven. I think they were looking into heaven like, why did you leave us? Right? I just, I've always wondered about, okay, what really is the ascension all about? I remember a story, um, I mentioned this first service, a story about a kid. I thought it was my grandpa, but it, it wasn't. But a kid who uh, went to a funeral parlor with his family, his, I think his great, great uncle passed away. And so the family came and spent time um, just being with the family and looking over uh, the body, and uh, they left, but uh, they left their five-year-old boy in the funeral parlor, and he actually stayed there all night by himself, right? And they came back the next morning, and he was never the same again, if you know what I mean, right? And so I, I kind of feel like it feels like the ascension story. Is the ascension story about Jesus, like, leaving his disciples? Oh, hey, guys, 
uh, I'm going to go to heaven. Uh, good luck with this mission stuff. You get the third person of the Trinity. But uh, God the Father and myself, we're going to be up and we're going to party with those exotic animals, right? And the 24 elders and this multi-ethnic, uh, multi-generational like, celebration will be up in heaven 30 trillion miles away. That's why I used to think about the ascension. But that's not how the ascension works. Let me just say something really quick, and this is where I'm going to nerd out on you. Are you ready? It's actually not that bad, okay? We got aspirin at the end of the service if you need it. Um, the reason why we, we don't understand the, the ascension is because we really don't understand biblical cosmology. Cosmology is just like the structure of space and time and matter. So we have this, and this has been my, this was my perspective for a good 15, 20 years uh, and scholars will call it a receptacle view of the cosmos. So um, could I have, actually, no, let's do this. So a receptacle view of the cosmos is, let's pretend this is, this container is all that there is. Everyone say all that there is. So you have heaven, which is a particular location. Let's say it's like right up here. And then we have earth, which is a, like a particular location. It's like right down here. And then you have the stars and constellation. And you have my dog, Theo. And you don't have cats because they've been removed or whatever. You have coffee, right? You have every, the color blue, red. You just everything that we know, space, time, matter. Jerry Jones, the Dallas Cowboys. It's all in there. Now, in a receptacle view of, of um, cosmology, heaven is a particular location within this space-time continuum. Earth is another particular location uh, within this space, this range of continuum of space and time and matter. Some of you are like, I have no idea where we're going with this. Just hold on. So within this view, heaven is separated from earth. A massive gulf exists between heaven and earth. But that's not a biblical way of thinking about the cosmos, about space and time and matter. In the ancient world, the more biblical view of cosmology, scholars will call it, they had a relational view of heaven and earth. So I want you to imagine to explain this, I'll say it this way. In other words, heaven and earth were like two halves, as N.T. Wright says, two halves of creation. Heaven and earth were always designed to complement each other. So there, there was a relationship between the two. It's not like some, uh, they're not just two uh, locations, they're more like two spaces or two dimensions. And a way to illustrate this is if you like golf, you're going to love this. Or if you like baseball, you're going to baseball. Any baseball fans here? Okay, we got a few baseball fans. So baseball, let's take a baseball, all right? Let's say in the outside of the baseball, uh, that represents earth. Uh, and the inside, you know, there's stuff. I don't know what it is, but there's stuff inside the baseball. And let's just say the stuff inside the baseball, it's another reality. It's another dimension. Let's say that represents heaven, so they, they overlap, they're together, but they're distinct and they're different. Now, I, I don't even know how to explain it even more. And some of you are like, well, why are we talking about this? Well, the reason why we're talking about this is because Jesus literally did go into heaven. But heaven, if, if we understand a relational view of cosmology, is not way, way, way out there. It's not a location, way, way out there. Heaven and earth overlap and intersect uh, in ways we can't even imagine. Heaven is, in, I don't even know how to say this, is like a different kind of space, but it's God's space. It's a dimension that we can't see, but it overlaps in ways that we can't even imagine. For example, we had our baptism service uh, last week, and uh, I heard from quite a few people, man, Chris, it really felt like 
heaven came to earth. And I'm like, no, okay, yes. And that's just not a nice way of talking about it. You need to literally think that heaven as a dimension was open to you. And you were really experiencing God's space. It's not just a metaphor. This isn't just stranger things. We're not just talking about an upside down world, but in a way, yes, we are. Heaven is God's space. It's, an, it's, it's a reality wherein God um, functions and uses or actually works, uh, uh, how do I say this, works from heaven to govern uh, earth, to govern our space. So my first point, uh, with that in mind, the ascension of Jesus is not about his absence, as one scholar says. It's not about the abandonment of Jesus of our creation as he like Iron Man's it out into outer space, right? We, Avengers is cool, but man, Jesus is so much better, right? Uh, Jesus went into heaven, and what does that mean? It means that Jesus now has authority over God's creation. Ascension is not about absence. It's not about abandonment. It's about authority. One scholar says it's not about um, absence. It's about ascendancy. It's about Jesus now standing over creation, standing over the cosmos, standing over the White House. Come on. Standing over uh, uh, cancer, standing over our circumstances, standing over how we even feel in our bodies, and, and, and functioning in the role of Lord over all. In other words, the ascension means that there's nothing. Everyone say nothing. Nothing lies outside of the range of God's sovereign, loving rule. Nothing. We don't like to talk about this, and I get it. Christians get, can get really fearful. People can get really fearful. But Jesus, and I don't know fully how this plays out, and I have answers to this question, or maybe what I'm about to say, but we just don't have time to flesh this out. But Jesus stands over ISIS. Jesus stands over heaven and hell and earth. Come on. He stands over evil. He stands over death. In fact, Jesus defeated death. He came bodily back from the dead. So Jesus, when we talk about the ascension, and we see language like Jesus was lifted up and he vanished into the sky, that's about ascendancy. That's about Jesus defeated it all, and he's ruling as the king. One scholar, Brian Zahn, said, Jesus is Lord now. Not Lord elect, not Lord gonna be, not Lord someday, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords right stinking now. Right now, not just later, but right now, Jesus is running the universe. And he's doing it with his love. And he's doing it patiently. He's doing it uh, in a way that we probably might not totally agree with. Jesus is standing over creation. He's standing over uh, earth, our lives, this church, etc. We have in uh, Acts chapter 1, Luke tells us that he was lifted up. Uh, lifted up is not just, you know, Luke isn't just emphasizing that maybe Jesus was about ready to, to take off. Like this is a vertical takeoff kind of a moment. Luke is emphasizing something uh, more. Luke is linking this ascension story 
with Daniel chapter 7. And I want to read Daniel chapter 7 with you really quick. Before I do that, let me just say this about lifting up. My, my boys, twin boys, they're going to graduate kindergarten this week. I'm so proud of them. It was a great year. It was, we had our challenges. It's a great school. I went to the principal a couple times. Anyways, let's move on. But the boys are great. They did not destroy the school. And I just, I, I'm, so, I'm so proud of them. But uh, this week, they're going to have their graduation. And their teacher for the last few weeks has been saying, hey, guys, you're going to move up to first grade. So what the teacher's not saying is, oh, oh you're going to relocate to an upper floor, which that might, they, first grade might be maybe um, a floor above them. They're on the basement, right? Kindergarten's on the basement. They're in the basement. I'm sure that building's haunted. It's, anyways, let's move on. Um, but when she says they're moving up to first grade, She's, she's, not saying, she's not talking about relocation. She's talking about you're advancing now to first grade. So when Luke is saying lift it up, he's also trying to emphasize ascendancy, authority. Jesus is lifted up in, and vanishes into heaven. But Luke is also trying to make the link for us with uh, the ascension story in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. I don't think you can understand the New Testament if you don't understand Daniel chapter 7. Jesus, in his public ministry, went around and said he was the Son of Man. And in Daniel chapter 7, we have this uh, vision. You could call it a terrifying nightmare. Uh, Daniel wakes up and sees uh, four primordial monsters emerging out of the sea called the Philadelphia Eagles, the New York Giants, and the Washington Redskins, right? They emerge out of the sea. These monsters represent the kingdoms of this world who have defaced God's planet, then we come to this judgment scene. We come to this heavenly courtroom. Verse 9 of chapter 7, this is what Daniel writes in his vision. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment. This is a heavenly court. The Ancient of Days is now sitting in judgment over the monsters, over the kingdoms of this world, and the kings and the powers that have disfigured God's planet. And the books, Daniel tells us, were open. Then we go to verse 13. Daniel chapter, I think it's verse 13. Yes. And then Daniel writes, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds, clouds, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So what is Luke doing? He's associating the lifting up, Jesus vanishing into heaven with Daniel chapter 7. Jesus is the son of man. In Daniel's vision, the son of man is carried up to the throne room on a what? A cloud. Here we have in Acts chapter 1, let me remind you, it was a cloud that took Jesus into heaven. 
So what is, what is Luke telling us? Luke is telling us Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Nothing, not the President of the United States, not Europe, not Jerry Jones, not your circumstances, not that sickness, not that thing that you're going through, not your body, not even how you feel lies outside of the Lordship of Jesus. Jesus is in charge. That leads us then to uh, number two, uh, which is the ascension story is about God taking up residence in creation. God taking up residence in creation. Uh, if you read clouds or you understood anything about clouds as they were symbolized in the Old Testament, you would know that they, they represent the presence of Jesus, excuse me, the presence of God. And so you have, it, like I don't know, interesting Maybe this is just me, and okay, and maybe you don't enjoy this, but I just, I'm fascinated with uh, the tabernacle being filled with the glory of God. I'm like, God, why? You know, God comes to Moses, we'll call him Mo. So he comes to Mo and says, Mo, I want you to build me a tabernacle, and I'm going to fill it with my presence. And I'm like, okay, that's cool, but why? Like, I'm a why guy. Any why guys here? Like, three of you, three why guys, okay. Um, I'm just, I always, I'm always asking, why do you want to fill the tabernacle, right? And then you have Tal, uh, Talman, Solomon's temple. He dedicates it, takes him a while to build it. He finally builds the temple. And what happens after the end of this dedication? The glory of God comes and fills the temple as smoke. Then you have the pillar of fire, right? Uh, and you have the cloud by day, the pillar of fire that leads God's people. It symbolizes God's presence. So you have clouds, 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 clouds. How many of you like clouds, right? I love blue sky and I love the white fluffy clouds. But clouds in the Old Testament represent God's presence. But the question that I've always had is why do you want to fill a tabernacle? Why do you want to fill a temple? Why is that so important to God? Well, in the ancient world, temples and tabernacles were seen as little cosmos or microcosmos or little worlds. In other words, temples represented the cosmos itself. So again, in this ancient setting of a deity, let's say a temple was, was constructed and was dedicated to a particular God and that God filled it with his presence, that also represented uh, a desire on that deity's part to fill the rest of creation. Now, I don't think we have any... Um, it, outside of biblical uh, literature, any other deity that really wanted to fill earth with uh, his presence. But when we come to the biblical story, this temple that we see or this tabernacle that God wants to take residence in um, represents how God eventually wants to flood the entire creation with his presence. That's why you have Isaiah chapter 11, Habakkuk chapter 2, I'm going to try to get through this really quick, where the, the prophets, they have this vision of the future, and they're like, one day, God's glory, his presence is going to flood creation as the waters cover the sea. So you have this, this intention on the part of God in the Old Testament, not just to fill a tabernacle with his residence, not just because tabernacles and temples were a place for a deity to reside in, to make his home in. It wasn't just to make one's home in a tab tab uh, tabernacle or temple. These temples represented how God wants to eventually flood the entire cosmos with his presence. But let me just say this really quick. Temples were also throne rooms. In this ancient setting, people wanted to just simply come to a temple and worship, right? Do some sort of dance and celebration and worship their God. They would come to a temple uh, to get information because these temples were associated with throne rooms. 
So the God would come and make his residence in a particular temple tabernacle, and uh, they would run the entire country from this temple. It's much like um, the White House. The White House, you have the president-elect, he wins the election, he then takes his residence in uh, the White House, right? Uh, Taking residence or making the White House your home doesn't simply mean you're just going to sleep all day. You're going to eat Cheetos, and how many love Cheetos? You're going to watch MASH, right, and we're just going to hang out, and you're going to have parties, and we're going to invite all these celebrities, and they're just going to be, you know, have a great time, and just chill in the White House. No, when a president takes his residence in the White House, he, yes, he is, this is his home, but it's also the place where he does the business, according to John Walton, an Old Testament scholar, he does the business of running the country. So when you see, we find in Acts chapter 2, We have the cloud in Acts chapter 1 that takes up Jesus, which symbolizes the presence of God. Then we come to another strange passage in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And I just want to read this really quick. So with this in mind, this context that we talked about with temples and tabernacles and the presence of God, it should help us with Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them. God's a pyrotechnic, right? And he rested on each, each one of them, each one of them. And I love this. And they were what? Some of them? No, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So Dr. Luke is telling us that God is filling creation with his presence. Not only that, not only is he taking up residence, he's ruling through his people. And he's giving them his power to take back planet Earth. But here's the thing. I love the language that Luke uses in relationship to the ascension and the pouring out of the Spirit. Everyone is involved. Not just Peter, James, and John, right? Not just maybe 12 disciples and the rest of them, they just kind of, they're sitting on the sidelines, right? They're in the cheap seats eating popcorn, and popcorn's amazing, I love it. Drinking some Diet Pepsi and watching everybody, like, get fire on their heads, right? And being filled with the Spirit and then going and doing God's work in this world. No, everyone was filled with the Spirit, which leads me to this simple point, and I've been thinking about this this week, is that people say, hey, we go to, ch- we go to church on Sunday. And I just, we just don't just go to church, right? And obviously, I mean, you, you woke up and you made the decision to go to church, but we simply just don't go to church. We are the church. From this passage, man, you just don't go to church, you are the church. Which implies that every time you come to a gathering on Sunday, uh, or, or maybe we get together in a small group, or you maybe have your Bible study, or maybe you're an intern, or maybe we have staff prayer on Tuesday, and you come and we pray together. Every time God's people meet together, it is a temple. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, hey, we are growing into a temple. Again, what are temples? Temples are a place where God makes his home, and he rules from the temple. So when we come together, what what are we saying? Well, we're saying that, man, God wants to rule through you, uh, and we have a responsibility to participate in this overlap of heaven and earth. 
So when people say, like, on Sundays they come, and, um, and I haven't heard this in a long time. Better not hear this for another long time. We're like, again, this, thank you, front row, for laughing. Um, um, I, I, I've heard it before a long time ago. My kids use it all the time, but it's that word boring, right? Like, man, uh, church is boring. Uh, and I just, I, I'm, I've heard it before. I'm like, man, if church is boring, then, man, you, you obviously have a problem with God, right? You have a perspective problem because you're bored with God. Because church isn't just about meeting your needs. Church is about learning to participate. Like when you're praying for people in the front last week. You know what I loved about baptism? Everybody was involved. You had greeters. You had Jerry Totman handing out towels. They're all wet. We had like um, T-shirts. People were handing out T-shirts. You had prayer people praying for people. You had people dunking everybody, right? I just got done preaching. You had the worship team, um, you know, uh, they were playing songs, and they were exhausted, and they were crying because they were exhausted. And you had the whole church are stretching forth their hands, and they're participating in this holy moment. That is a microcosm of what we should experience as the church. I don't think there's anything, there's no such thing as sitting on the sidelines when it comes to the kingdom of God. But if you're bored with God, then you're just simply a boring person. You lack an imagination. Man, the overlap of heaven and earth takes place every time we gather. Church isn't, church isn't just for you. Church isn't just about meeting your needs. Now, we want to meet your needs. Like, God wants to heal you. He wants to put your life back together. He wants to set you free from being an Oakland Raider fan, right? So, yes, Jesus. Was that for, was that for Mark? Mark? Yes, that's right. And Susan, I saw that, and set you free from being a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I saw that, Susan. Wants to set you free. It's not just, just getting something, right? It's, it's funny how people come to church and they think, oh, I'm just going to go to church. As if, like, oh, the preacher man has to get up and he has to entertain me, right? And if he doesn't go, if, if, if he's not Pentecostal enough, I'm going to go somewhere else where they're Pentecostal. Or, man, if he isn't Reformed enough this week, he doesn't give me enough theology, I'm going to go somewhere else, right? Well, is, is church about you? Like some people get frustrated when there's not enough hymns, there's not enough hill song, there's not enough cowbell. Uh, some people want tambourines, some people want flutes, right? Some, some people want Shane Grove to play the saxophone, right? I mean, we just, we all have tastes and styles. Here's the problem. If you confuse style with the spirit, you're going to be a frustrated Christian. Yes, and that's fine. You can like particular preaching. There's nothing wrong with that. But hey, we're the church, and there's a diversity in the church, and there's some things you need that you're not used to. That's not, that doesn't fit or line up with your style. Man, God used the donkey to get a hold of a prophet. Kind of weird. God used Moses, who murdered somebody, kind of a like semi-psychopath, with a speech impediment to set his people free. Could you imagine if I came up here one Sunday, said I murdered somebody like two years ago, oops, right? Can you follow me? I'm going to deliver you out of all your slavery and issues. Like Americans would say, get away from me, right? God uses all sorts of people and styles. God used Abraham. 100 years old. He's a pagan. He was a serial pimp. He pimped his wife out twice, and God still used him. 
So what, I'm, what, what am I trying to say? God, well, God used David, and he was ruddy, which means he's a redhead, most likely. <laughs> Terribly good-looking, ridiculously good-looking <laughs> to defeat a giant. So what I'm trying to say, I'm making the case, man, church is not about you. Please don't come to church to get just simply your needs met, to be entertained, right? Let's, let's go to the U2 concert. Let's go to Coldplay. Let's go to, you can go to Kanye, whatever. But, man, we come to church so we can participate in what God is doing every single Sunday. And I'm telling you what, as Christians, ah, oh, it makes me angry. We underestimate what God can do. I don't care if we're playing the wrong song. I don't care if you think I'm preaching the wrong message. Maybe I am. Maybe it was a weird week for me. <laughs> My life is so weird. And stuff is coming out of me. You're like, what is going on? Hey, let me go back to the authority thing. Jesus stands over this church. So just so you know, I'm not in charge of Capital Church, my wife and I. We have, we, have, we have translocal elders, but they're not in charge. We have local elders. They're not in charge. We have an incredible executive team. We're not in charge, guys. The Ascension story is about how Jesus stands over creation and the church. Jesus is in charge of us. He's running the show. So we can just, man, we can just sigh. Like, um, we can just, like, man, we can totally now embrace being human and creatures, and you don't have to, like, try to figure everything out, right? You're not in charge of running your business, your family, uh, your home, your life, your future. Jesus is in charge of that. Let me just say one word on authority. I'm going to get back to this point. I just have one quick point. But when it comes to the authority of Jesus, Again, this means that Jesus stands over not only the state, not only the self, capital S self, not only our ego, but he stands over the church. If you, if you ignore the ascension, um, one scholar says you will create a vacuum. And we all know that nature abhors a vacuum. Something will fill that vacuum. Be that the state, be that the self, be that the church. So what does that mean? That leads to two responses, either Despair, disillusionment, despair, we'll call it despair, or triumphalism. For example, if, if I think that Jesus is in heaven 30 trillion miles away, um, and he really doesn't care about planet Earth, this is what many scholars will tell you, then if I'm not careful, I'm like, I'm going to fill that vacuum that's created by ignoring the ascension with myself. And churches have done this. Churches they're not careful, think that their agenda or their thinking must always line up with Jesus because Jesus equals the church. Jesus does not equal the church. The church, yes, is the body of Christ, but Jesus is the head. He's in charge. Revelation 3.20, Jesus is standing outside knocking on the door saying, open up, come and eat with me. Jesus stands over us. It's important for us to understand this because if we don't, if we ignore this, then it will lead to triumphalism, meaning the church, we'll just, we'll do whatever we want to do. We'll say whatever we want to say. We'll force people to do whatever. I'm telling you what, I can't force an atheist to, to, to be a Christian. They're free, authentic beings, right? Um, but I can love them. 
into the Christian story. I can pray for them into the Christian story. I can talk to them uh, into the Christian story. Uh, but we're not going to force people to do anything. Now, if you believe or you ignore the ascension, it will also inevitably lead to despair. Because if you think Jesus equals the church, that we got a lot of problems. Jesus has a lot of brokenness. The church is a broken thing. We're not perfect. None of us in this room is perfect. But when we understand Jesus is in charge of it all, and he will, come, he will perfect us, and one day he'll come back and make all things new, including his people, then we can sigh a sigh of relief. Can I get an amen to that? But back to point number two, and I'll get to point number three, and we're, we're done and we'll pray. Um, man, we're not here just to have our needs met. We're here to participate with the overlap of heaven and earth. One pastor, um, it was like 10 years ago, I read this story, but his pastor, um, actually there was a woman at the end of their worship experience that came to him and said, you know what, Pastor, we'll call him Pastor Bill. Pastor Bill, I was just really frustrated with our worship experience today. I didn't like the song selection with enough cowbell, right? It just, just didn't work for me. I wanted more of this or more of that. Uh, and Pastor Bill lovingly looked back and said, well, thank God, worship isn't about you. It's not about us. And we have a responsibility. My wife and I and our leadership team have a responsibility to create space where as a community we can encounter and participate with Jesus, not only every single Sunday, but train everyone to participate with Jesus Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So we come to number three. The Ascension story is about the empowerment of God's people for mission. It's about the empowerment of God's people for mission. If you go to Acts chapter 7, uh, we'll finish here. We have a horrifying event take place. Stephen, he uh, just preached some truth to some people. And uh, they got a little angry. And so they uh, decided they wanted to kill him. And Stephen knows what's about to happen. In verse 40, uh, 54, uh, let's pick up there, Luke writes, Now when they had heard these things, they heard what Stephen was saying, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. Sounds like this earthly court has turned into, like, at least I'll say it this way, there's some animal-like characteristics with this earth, earthly court. I want you to remember Daniel chapter 7 and the monsters coming out of the primordial sea. Verse 55, but he, Stephen that is, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, I love this, and he saw the glory of God in Jesus standing at the right hand of God, standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing. I want to say standing. Man, I love, I love practical stuff. I love practical um, messages. But this is what we Christians need. We live in a disenchanted world. And I think the reason why Christians, man, they're confused and disillusioned is because they don't, they don't fully grasp where Jesus is at and how he's standing as an advocate for us. But the Son of Man, this is what he sees, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What is Stephen? What is he seeing? 
He's seeing this vision of heaven. Remember, heaven is not far away. Heaven is related. It complements earth. He, again, Luke is telling us this is a link to Daniel chapter 7, verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice, his executioners, and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, not, not, not Rabbi Jesus, not Jesus who's going to make me nice and help me pay my taxes and just be a good person. But he says, King Jesus. This is the message of the early Christian story. Not Jesus, a nice rabbi who died for us, who's going to take us away to heaven. No, their story was King Jesus who rules over the cosmos, who will come back through his death and his resurrection, will come back and make all things new. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, King, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Man, let me just say a few things. I, I read this on Monday, and I guess I could say this. I was blown away by this. I've never seen this passage like I felt like the Holy Spirit showed me. And I was just thinking through this, and I was blown away by Stephen, his, his ability to overcome fear and pain. He knows he, he spoke the truth in love, but he knows he's going to be executed. And I'm not trying to be funny here, but, man, if someone's going to throw stones at me, if I'm going to try to dodge a few, and then I'm going to try, and then, no, I'm going down. Again, I'm not trying to be funny, but I just know I'm a redhead, and this is just what's going to come out of me. I'm going to try to pick up some stones and throw them back at people, right? That's just, I, I'm, I'm not going down, like, just easy here. I mean, that's what I would be thinking. Yet Stephen has the courage to call down forgiveness and blessing on his executioners. It's, a, it's amazing. Let me just say one thing. So, so what's happening here? Stephen, in, in the muddle or in the mess of this execution, Saul's on the side. And we'll talk about um, Saul who turned to Paul in about a month. But he's on the side, and Stephen sees this vision. He sees the Ancient of Days, and he sees the Son of Man not sitting, but he's standing as what? As an advocate. Jesus, the Son of Man, is standing as an advocate. This vision is basically a sign. It's a courtroom where we have the heavenly court finding in favor of Stephen. It's powerful that this heavenly courtroom Jesus himself is standing as an advocate and saying, I do not condemn you. This earthly court, yeah, it's a circus. Yeah, they, they're colluding with the powers. And they've allowed things to take over how they perceive. And they've obviously misjudged you. But heaven is standing in favor of Stephen. I think that's important for Christians. Over the next decade, I, I think Christians, we're going to have to be ready in North America to, to be bold and to be courageous and to learn how to speak the truth in love and understand there might be some persecution. And maybe, some, maybe you've already experienced that. Maybe you've been misjudged. Maybe there's been an earthly court that has attacked you or condemned you. Or maybe something has happened in your past. Well, the good news, if you're in Christ, you have an advocate who's standing on your behalf. But what blew my mind is that... Um, 
I wrestled with this for a couple hours on Monday. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're our advocate and you're finding in favor of Stephen. This is a link to Daniel chapter 7. I thank you, Father. This is absolutely amazing. Heaven and earth is like all around us. And then I felt like the Holy Spirit led me to Romans 8, which helps us interpret this passage. And I just want to explain. Give me two minutes and then we're done. Romans 8, verse 31. This is written, what, 20 years later uh, by St. Paul who witnessed the death of Stephen, the martyrdom of Stephen. And this is what Paul says in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I wonder if this episode with Stephen and his martyrdom somehow shaped his theology right here in Romans. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? He saw the charges that were brought against Stephen. It is God who justifies. And then it just gets, man, it gets deep. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is, I love this, who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us? Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Nothing can separate us. Here we have a picture. I think you can, you can overlap. This is an, there's, there's an overlap with this text and what we find in Acts chapter 7. Jesus is not only standing as an advocate in favor of his servant Stephen. What is he doing? He's praying. Stephen sees it. Stephen sees the king of the universe interceding on his behalf. I love it when people come up to me and say, Chris, because I can feel it. Chris, I was praying for you this week. Someone texted me and said, hey, this, there was something going on this, this particular day because I know God dropped you on my heart and I was praying for it. And I'm like, bro, thank you for praying me. Physically, I wasn't feeling well and I felt like God did something in me. I just love it when people pray for me. There is something that happens. I, I can't explain it. We believe in prayer. Queen Mary, I don't know if you know, uh, know this, but she was afraid every time John Knox prayed because she, she said that the world was turned upside down through John Knox's prayer. But we don't have just an intercessor or a prayer person that is daily interceding for us. We have the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This blew my mind. It's, it's almost as if, hey, Jesus is saying, hey, Stephen, this is going to be hard. You're going to feel pain. But you can do it. And I'm not saying in this moment that Stephen was thinking about, okay, maybe I, should, I went a little bit too hard. And maybe I should maybe recant a little bit. And then save my skin. I don't think Stephen was thinking that, but I do think Stephen was afraid. He spoke the truth in love, and he knew that he was now facing his execution, and he was going to lose his life. I think this vision of Stephen seeing the sun, praying on Stephen's behalf to the Father, that gave him the courage to call down blessing and forgiveness on his executioners. You don't know anything about Jewish martyrdom for 200 years leading up to the time of Jesus. This is typically what would happen. Pagan kings would conquer um, Israel, and these Jewish martyrs would say something. It was, it was a tradition. As they're being executed, they would say something 
Uh, in the future, they would look at these pagans and they would say, in the future, just so you know, God will come and he will torture you and your descendants forever because of what you did. They were calling down fire, right? Have you ever watched Tombstone? Kurt Russell loses his bro, right? And he's at the train station and he looks at that, that guy and what does he say? He says, hell is coming with me. That's kind of, I mean, he, they totally got that from these Maccabean like martyrs, right? That was like the tradition. It shaped Jewish martyrdom until Christianity happened. We have Jesus in Luke chapter 23 saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Stephen does not call down fire and brimstone and curses. He calls down blessing and forgiveness. That's our vocation. And Stephen gained the strength to be what God had called him to be because of the intercession of Jesus. I used to think that prayer was up to me. Now, I know it's not up to me because I have an intercessor that's praying for me every stinking day. When I'm feeling sick and I'm overwhelmed and I feel like I can't do hard things, the right things, right, because it feels hard, come on, I know, and I want you to think this this week. When you're going through something rough or, man, you're experiencing something difficult, I want you to know your king is interceding on your behalf. He's naming your name. He's calling. He's speaking life over you. He's praying to the Father on your behalf. He's the faithful high priest, man, that takes on the pain and the hardship and the difficulty in his own body. This is how Jesus rules the world. He rules the world by interceding. For us. I need that. Man, I can do hard things. I can do big things. I can do impossible things because it's not up to me. Because my king is praying, oh, Chris, man, sometimes he's, he's a dork, but I love him and I'm praying for him and he can do it. I felt that this week. Chris, you're going to do it. Chris, and this is where I end. Chris, you're going to do it. Because I had a moment where I had some physical challenges and I felt like this demonic idea came to my mind. I'm just going to be honest. I didn't share this with anybody else. Is that you don't have the energy for the next 25 years to do what you're doing. And instantly, God took me to Acts 7 and showed me Stephen. And I felt like heaven in that moment spoke to me and said, yes, you can. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I will give you the energy. I will give you the strength to be who I've called you to be. If you're, going, if you're weary, if you're tired, if you're going through a uh, struggle right now, I just feel like I have a grace to pray for you. So if you go bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to pray that God's going to strengthen you tonight. You can do hard things because God's grace is sufficient for you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Who's going to condemn you tonight? It's not Jesus. Who's going to separate you? Or what circumstance can separate you from the love of God? Nothing. You have an advocate in heaven who stands in your favor. You have an intercessor in heaven who daily makes intercession for you. You're not defined by how you feel. You're not defined by your circumstances. My word, you're defined by the intercession of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you're struggling tonight, you need prayer. You need strength to be on mission. 
you've had those thoughts, God, I don't know if I can do it. Or maybe you've just weary. You're tired. It's not you're doing anything horrible. You're just tired. You need Jesus to come and strengthen you. With every eye closed, every head out. If you want me to pray for you, can you just raise your hand right now? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Many of you, thank you for your hands. You can put your hands down. Just put it on your heart. Jesus, I just thank you by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would come and you would strengthen your sons and daughters. Give them a revelation that you are their intercessor. Give them a fresh revelation that you are their advocate. That in every season, there, there are good times and there's bad times, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And I thank you that you strengthen us through your praying. Oh, my word's amazing. And Lord, I thank you. People are feeling it now. Some of you are just, you, you came in heavy. Or maybe you realize you've been trying to follow Jesus under this cloud of heaviness. Jesus, lift that off right now. Whatever that might be. Some of you just don't, you, you're just realizing it right now. You don't have joy. The Bible tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. You don't have joy. You just have heaviness and tiredness and weariness. And maybe your vision is clouded. Maybe you're trying to figure things out. You don't know where to go. And you just, you, you almost feel like there are weights on your, uh, your legs or your, even your shoulders. Father, I thank you that your anointing comes right now and it breaks every yoke. Lord, I thank you that your yoke is easy. It's light. I thank you. You come tonight to give your people rest. You come to strengthen your people. Strengthen us in your love. Strengthen us in your blessing. Strengthen us in your mission. Help us to fulfill the call of God on our lives. Lord, I thank you have a purpose and a mission for every single person here. I thank you for equipping us right now with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and just pour. Pour out on us. Pour out on us. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com. 